Picture this. The journey ahead starts here together, and together we can build a brighter future. You are listening to Illuminating Hope, a podcast of Hope House. Welcome to Illuminating Hope. I'm your host, Tina Johnson, Community Partnership Manager. My co-host, Marianne Matheny, is out today. Please help me welcome trauma-informed coach, three-time international best-selling author, and 20 most inspiring leaders of 2022, Carolyn Markle Hammond. Carolyn's depth of leadership style with billion-dollar brands in Fortune 500 companies empowers her team, individuals, families, communities to achieve sustainative improvement in their well-being. Synchronizing solutions for diversified domestic violence communities, campaigns targeting robust healing with over 1 billion impressions and opportunities for immediate and actionable solutions, plus receiving two many awards. As a survivor of domestic violence, plus revival from a death experience, Caroline uses storytelling to eliminate disparities for historical excluded communities being featured on Oprah's, Forbes, PBS, NPR, Miss Magazine, Newsweek, Television, Radio, and Podcasts. Caroline Markle Hammond, welcome to the Illuminating Hope Podcast. I am so happy that you're here. Thank you for having me today, Tina. I appreciate the invitation. I appreciate you sitting across from me and having a good conversation. I do want to talk about your mission. Safe in Harm's Way is a nonprofit organization with a mission to change the world for those who are recovering from the sadness, worry, lies, fear, screaming, and pain of toxic relationships. Safe in Harm's Way is created by survivors for survivors with an instinct to create community and trauma-informed support at the most intimate moments of private and hidden pain. I know you are a domestic violence survivor. Tell me about your story and what makes your story unique. I really appreciate this opportunity because I know from getting to travel across the world that when people share their story, others feel so much less alone in their own. And so it's really important to have those conversations. And before I start, I'd like to say I'm going to be using the female pronouns because it's my story. But I know that sometimes there are instances with men or people who identify as gender fluid also experience the abuse. So I don't want my story to be missed based on pronouns. We'll clarify that up front. My story does also include a significant portion of abuse in the form of sexual abuse, which includes incapacitating people, drugging them, raping them. So I want to say that up front. So if anybody has experienced that, that they are kind of aware that's what we're going to be talking about. And I also want to say that there is not a time that I've done a podcast, and I've probably done about 50 hours of podcasts, that I don't get emails from people saying, oh my goodness, my life has suddenly become clear experience has suddenly become clear. So I like to say those three things up front because I want people to know what they're getting into. I want them to know that they're not alone. And I also want them to know that within my story, there is a beautiful after that people can navigate toward. So that's a very long preface. It really began with my story back in 2016. And thank you for stating the mission of what we do at Safe and Harm's Way. 
The reason we talk about those feelings, the sadness, the worry, the lies, screaming, fear and pain, with survivors, people are not gonna raise their hand and saying, I'm experiencing domestic violence. They're just trying to fix it. And the relationship doesn't start off as abusive. It starts out as candy and love and someone that makes you laugh and, oh my gosh, they get me. Most importantly, what they get from ultimately the man who will look them in the eye and claim to love them is the origin story of his, which is no one has ever understood me the way you do, has ever loved me like you do. We were meant for each other. I was meant to find you. You are saving me. You are saving my children. You are creating a life for me that I've never known. And so people who are fiercely intelligent, highly empathetic, they do not quit and they always win, which is how I identify every survivor I've worked with or met, stay to keep trying to fix that relationship when suddenly it turns from love and you're it and we are together to sadness, worry, lies, screaming, fear, and pain. And so that is a specific call out for people because much like me, I would have never raised my hand saying I'm being abused. But you showed me the wheel of power and control when I finally got into a a shelter for counseling. And I thought, this has been my life. Because domestic violence is nothing but a cycle. And, and it includes, like, the most horrific times followed by the most amazing apologies. Yes. And I will never do it again. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. For one of our campaigns that, that we launched at Safe and Harm's Way is called The Last I'm Sorry. And it's a visual of a varying state of flowers in decay. Like, some are brand new flowers. Some are, look like they've been decayed for two years. There's brand new pet teddy bears. There's teddy bears that look like they've been around for several years. There's balloons inflated there's balloons half inflated to represent all the different sorries that came around knowing that I never would have raised my hand to say I was being abused what happened to me is about four weeks before our planned and paid for wedding everything was set we had met often with the the minister who was going to conduct it we had rented out the overall balcony that you can see from Grand Central Station in New York and we had rented that out we had friends already we had flowers purchased dresses everything about four weeks before that wedding as I was climbing into bed one night he said love I think I've done something that's going to make you really mad and I said well, what did you do? And he pops open his computer and he shows me this email exchange back and forth with another man where he was offering that man for me to have sex with him and his wife without my knowledge, without my consent. Four weeks before a beautiful wedding. Yes. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm not mad. I am livid. Get out of my house. And then what did it turn to? I knew it, Carolyn. I knew you were going to be really mad at this. I knew that you were going to be just livid with me for doing this. And now I suppose we're going to have to stay up all night and talk about your feelings and how mad you are. You know what? You've ruined everything now. I'm just going to go ahead and cancel it. And I was enraged because I'm, I mean, if it, it's like a cold bucket of water in the face because I'm trying to process he did what? Without my knowledge, without my consent, without me ever saying this is something I would consider doing. He did this with strangers on the internet who even knows who these people are he told them where we lived he showed them my pictures he told them where I work this was people that he engaged with that knew 
a lot about me now. And so that's swirling through my head. I then start to defend myself, and that's what abusers do. When they throw something at you and you defend yourself, all of a sudden, you're not talking about what they did anymore. So I stopped arguing. I got in bed. I waited for him to fall asleep, and I grabbed his computer. And I want to pause here and say, this is really important because I get a lot of questions like, did you ever look at his computer before? I didn't. And guess what? He had often left it out for me in situations where I would question something, again, because I was sad or I wanted wondered if he was lying to me or I was worried or I was afraid. He would leave his computer out and say, go ahead and look through everything, Carolyn. There's, I got nothing to hide. I never did because I would have caught insanity for not trusting him and looking at the computer. So think about that a minute. It's a lose-lose. It is. And over time, if he knows I'm not going to look at his computer, then he gets to be the hero that offers it to me. I don't. Meanwhile, he's been getting away with insanity for years. But this time, I looked. So at about three in the morning, I went into my kitchen and I popped open his computer and the first thing I saw was so horrific and egregious that I thought this certainly must be a mistake. I shut the computer and I started to walk away. And what I found is that he belonged to a group that taught men how to drug and incapacitate their girlfriend's significant other wife, allow them to be raped by other men who were invited over and filmed. So there's no way to process that. And I found that for the entirety of our relationship, and we had been together eight years, for the entirety of our relationship, at about the six to eight week mark, he had been doing this to me without my knowledge and consent. So he would go out onto the internet on this group that was teaching men how to drug and and incapacitate their partner to be raped. He was doing that to me for the entirety of our relationship. Okay, so let me stop you here and ask the question, did he receive funds for this? Now, it would have been beautiful if that could have been found. So once I left, the FBI worked really, really hard. If they had been able to track funds, there would have been over 34 counts of interstate sex trafficking because he did it when I traveled. He did it when he traveled. He did it when we traveled together. There were no funds to be found. So either they were so deeply buried, they even looked for, did he ever offer a trade? Because that could have been looked at as reciprocation. He never did it for trade. So it appears he did it just because. What happens then is me trying to get pictures of all of this off his computer. He has a Mac. I'm not familiar with a Mac. So I'm taking screenshots and I'm trying to remember to go back and put that email as unread, just in case he's got a tracking system. He got all of the footage from every act. Yes. So I discovered that there were nights that I didn't remember. There were nights I didn't know that I was places. All of these things that were happening to me, again, it's why we talk about feelings at Safe and Harm's Way, because I would have never in the entirety of our relationship were there things physically with me that were happening through the duration. Yes. And I thought, well, maybe I did too much on the elliptical machine. Maybe I did too much on the bike. Maybe I I would take these spinning classes. Maybe that was it. Just thought, okay, my body chemistry is off. I'm getting near menopause. Something's wrong. I never in a million years would have thought, you know, 
that Betty's drugging me and allowing other people to rape me. If you want to listen to a great webinar on this particular type of abuse, DomesticShelters.org did a fabulous webinar on it on November 11th of 2021. You can go to DS.org, DomesticShelters.org, look up that particular webinar if you want to listen to this. But it is a form of abuse that is not talked about much because it takes some episode for someone to even realize that it's happening to them. How did you heal from this type of trauma as it's all coming to fruition? What's something that you do for yourself to make sure you're taken care of? I was desperate to reclaim my sexuality and I was not going to allow that to keep me stuck. I will say it is long Yes. It is hard process. Yes. It is something that I will do for the rest of my life. And I talk about healing being a lifelong process, not to scare people away. I want to jump in together because it's so beautiful. You can have 52 great days in a row and you have three days where you want to stay in bed. That is still healing. Yes. All of it is healing. Taking those steps involved a lot of therapy, a lot of doctor visits. All the medication that was in your body. So something happened to your body. Talk to our listeners about what happened to your body that almost ended your life. I think it's two components. It's the accumulation of what was I ingested unknowingly. I think it's the accumulation of so much trauma inflicted on my body and that I didn't know about. And then, of course, all the trauma that I did know about from living with him. All your body keeps the score. When in the Once I discovered this about him, I started planning my escape. But that meant it took me a almost two weeks to plan my escape. And during that time, I could not eat or drink anything in my home because I wasn't sure what would have been put into it. By like day 10 of this, I was sick. I was sick with worry. I was losing my mind. I couldn't eat. I ended up in the emergency room. And in the emergency room, my heart stopped on the monitor about 12 seconds. And they called in a cardiologist and the cardiologist said, we don't really see 12 seconds. That's kind of concerning, but maybe it's just the machine. So we're going to go ahead and keep you overnight. And I was so eager for him to leave because it would mean I had rest that I said, go ahead and go home. So he left. And as soon as he left, I spewed out my story to the cardiologist. And the man stood across from me and he said, I'm so sorry. I believe you. And that saved my life. Admitted me to the hospital. I'm going to insert something in you that monitors your heart 24-7. We're going to give you four days in the hospital before I do it so you have time to finish planning your escape so that you can eat and drink. We're going to let every staff know who exactly this monster is. We're going to make sure we get you involved with a social worker. We're going to do all these things for you. And that that implantation of the device monitored my heart. And then two and a half years later, in the accumulation again of, I think, a lot of trauma and processing and healing and your body keeping the score my heart actually did stop completely. It stopped for 47 seconds. Um, oh, that's a long time, yeah, Carolyn. 47 yeah. seconds. It did not start for another 75. And they could see it all because the monitor was tracking me. And so when it fed up to doctor's office, he could see that. And he could see that then my heart rate returned to normal. But he thought for sure I was dead, brain dead on the floor for two days because I actually was on a plane coming back from Africa, having worked with women who had survived rape for a couple weeks. And so I was coming back home from that trip. And so when I got home between the time distance and the flight distance, it looked like two days. He sent the police because nobody survives 47 seconds, much less another 75 seconds of it starting. And within, so the police are pounding at my door. They get me into to the hospital and in less than an hour I was in surgery and I have a pacemaker that now controls my heart 
and doesn't allow it to stop beating. And that is a direct result of the domestic violence. Is that what they believe? They believe that there's, there is nothing structurally wrong with my heart. A theory is it's the accumulation of all that, that stress and that toxicity and what I didn't know and what I did know as far as like I knew what I was living with him. Didn't label it as abuse, but knew that I had sadness, worry, lies, screaming, fear, and a whole lot of pain. But I was still not labeling me as such. And then, of course, there's this, all this underneath current things that I didn't know were happening. And so that's the prevailing thought is that the accumulation of that stopped my heart. One of the apps that we are going to be partnering with at Safe and Harm's Way is called Seek Then Speak. Seek Then Speak is an app that is safety features that if you have been sexually assaulted, you can start to document that. It's all safety. It's all all the evidence that comes to your mind as you're thinking of it, that's your speaking part. It's been developed by End Violence Against Women International and Victim's Voice. And they are putting this app together. And then on there is a PDF of the most often asked questions by investigators. So you'll be prepared on what would be asked of you and healthcare providers. You can also ask to you can do a Google search and find out which hospitals in the area have sane nurses. So there are sexual assault nurse educators that are very specific in how they document things when there is a rape that occurs. And the one thing to remember is there is no perfect victims. Let's talk about your organization, Okay. Safe and Harm's Way. Tell me about it. Tell me what you do. I know you are an online mm-hmm. resource. So talk to me about that. And then I want to talk a little bit about the corporate training piece. I'd love it. Safe and Harm's Way, you can find us at safeandharmsway.org. Safe and Harm's Way came as a development of my journey. Anything in Safe and Harm's Way is because that's what I experienced. I was very fortunate. When I discovered what I had discovered, I had a great full-time job. I had an organization that cared. I had friends who were willing to do things for me and never said to me, why didn't you just leave them? They did all these things. And even in that, even in a great job, even in a supportive employer, even in my own car, I, I had a car that was paid for. Friends, family that rallied, I still ended up unhoused for six weeks. Domestic violence survivors are one of the largest population of the homeless population. Yes. And so I was living out of my car. And I thought, wow, so if this happened to me, what does what happens with people who are historically marginalized and compromised in disparities of economics, transportation, mobility, color of their skin, or their sexual identity? What happens there? Right. And so we, we looked at, at Safe and Harm's Way, we look at solving two problems. One problem is there's Hope House amazing organization. Organizations across this country who will house and get people therapy. So we wanted to be online so that people could find community, find our resources for healing. You can drop into a trauma-informed yoga class. You can read about the other stories of survivors. Two things we had that we have to revamp is we could get people into counseling within a week in either a group setting or a counselor, and we're across the country, so it doesn't matter where you live. Historically, too, what that means is it doesn't matter where you live. If you leave and go to another city, Safe and Harm's Way is still going to be there. So had affiliation groups for all survivors within the queer community specifically so that they could get therapy with a certified trauma-informed therapist or counselor by someone who identifies as them similar experiences, so you're receiving care from somebody who instantly gets you. Those are two programs we're redoing because both our partners decided to revamp their services. We didn't feel as if they were up to snuff of what we were wanted to accomplish. So we're rescheduling those. Those unfortunately are on a little bit of hold, but we we're working diligently to to do that. But people could find their community, find their people, do it online, 
because we also know that on average it takes seven times for somebody to leave. So we call it that private, quiet 2 a.m. moment where you have, again, received another beating and now zero apology, and you are hiding you, your, yourself, your children, and your pets in a bathroom, and you can securely look online, and you can find the resources in the area and across the country of where you can go. So again, doesn't matter where anybody lives. And so that was one thing. We're, we're a community online that people can seek services. We also, inherent in that, develop what we call microsites. So microsites are adjunct websites to the safeinharmsway.org. So I talked about the last I'm sorry. At the lastimsorry.com, we are the only process in the United States who has created with two built-in safety features that you get to identify as you are. I'm a queer woman living in Idaho. I'm facing this type of abuse. What do I do? And you immediately get two immediate and actionable steps you can take right now to get help at thelastimsorry.com. So we develop these microsites that people can go to and get help and services and additional safety measures based on how they identify all across the country. One of the other things that we did is based on my experience is we do a partnership with the, uh, it's called Victim's Voice, and you can get this for free at Safe and Harm's Way. You, it is the only platform app in the United States where you can document your abuse and it is court admissible. If you start to document, it's going to be housed there. And so you won't run the risk of deleting everything. And then in three months when you decide that you're leaving again, you've lost all that documentation. It's all going to be still there. And, and tell everyone what the app is again. It's called Victim's Voice. And you can contact us at Safe and Harm's Way and we'll get you a free license for the app. And it looks benign on your phone, so no one's going to know. The next thing is that I had to tell my story over and over and over again, and that is exhausting, and it is trauma-inducing. It was so bad, I had to write my name on a yellow Post-it note and carry it everywhere I went. I remember one case in, in particular, and she asked me my name, and I thought, I don't know. And so I'm fumbling in my purse and I find my driver's license and I hand it to her and I say, this is who I am. And the repetitiveness of that is exhausting. What else was exhausting is I didn't even know how to, and now I'm getting into the second thing that's safe in harm's way, the second umbrella, which is, so one of the other things we do is twofold in that. We just did signed a partnership with Ohana Link Purple. So you can go to Ohana Link Purple, but it's really based on, we're in nine states across the country. So it's working with people like Hope House. It's working with shelters. It's an instant way for any entity to communicate with the person that's either called their 800 number for help or living in service. And they can communicate with that person so that person doesn't have to keep sharing their story. That person doesn't have to know how to do a Google search. I remember searching for things related to abuse once I had the epiphany, and it takes a while to have the epiphany. And I think, oh my gosh, this must have just come out because certainly I would have seen it and known. No, it's been out for 10 years. The people we could reach if they just knew they were exactly. domestic violence victims. Exactly. So this, it's housed in a safety app. Ohana Link Purple is amazing. Even, so no one has to search. All the Safe and Harm's Way resources are right there in Ohana Link Purple. So we're their resource provider. You can also use Ohana Link Purple if you're going to move and you're, you need to search for what's next 
city you're going to be in, it's cloud-based, and so if your abuser grabs your phone and crushes it, you have not lost anything, much like victim's voice. It's cloud-based, so your information is always there. If you transfer to another shelter because you move and they are a member of Ohana Link Purple, all your information is there again. Again, you don't have to complete and repeat your story. The thought of, okay, we need to have documents signed, and can you meet me between two and 2.15 behind the high V to sign this document because it's the only time you can get any place. You can, they have signature forms that are acceptable on Ohana Link Purple. You don't have to, even if you wanted, someone says, okay, I need to talk to my therapist and, but I only have between 2.45 and 3.30, you can send them a text and you can communicate by text. So you're not missing phone calls or the possibility of when someone's safe or not safe. So we've developed and partnered with people who have amazing apps that allows our the people accessing our services to ensure that they're receiving trauma-informed care and consistency in a way that they can utilize in their moments. And again, Ohanaling Purple, it, if it is completely benign on your phone. Let's talk about corporate training because work from home violence has always been a thing, mm-hmm. but it really came to fruition after pandemic. I know we've heard of a lot of corporations and we go out and teach and train as well as you do about red flags, what to look for, screening questions, safety planning for your staff. But I think it's important to really be educated on that domestic violence piece as a manager or senior leader of any corporation, if you have any employee, number one, but especially if you have employees who work from home, red flags like you have this productive staff or employee that all of a sudden their computers are getting broke or they're losing their cell phones. What do you say to some of the corporations that you would go and talk to about work from home violence? I know it's it's such an important topic right now. It really is. And thankfully, more corporations are realizing a couple things, and one of which is the whole person shows up at work. And think about it. There are, if you factor in men and women, close to 68% of the population who show up at work every day are on a team's call hiding their bruises from home. They're not on video. That's a red flag. Yeah, that's a red flag. But they might even be on video, but they're wearing a turtleneck in July because they want to hide the strangulation marks around their neck. We craft everything uniquely based on what the needs are. Knowing what your policy is. I've worked with employers where someone self-reports, and the reason I get called in is because someone went to their manager and said, I am hatching a plan of escape, of abuse. Are there any open, transferable positions in these cities? And we're told, don't bring your problems to work. One thing I think that can be said also about employers is even when an employee starts to be non-productive and you and, and suddenly you've got a stellar employee who's forgetting meetings, showing up late, not meeting deadlines. Instead of thinking that, per, and I love it when a manager calls me, when I've been at a company and then months, years later, a manager calls me and says, Carolyn, I have this person that works for me and I'm seeing all these red flags, can I practice with you what I should say? Because no longer is somebody looking at that person and saying, she's suddenly become the most horrible employee we ever had. No, no. That does not happen. That does not happen unless something is going on at home. What's guaranteed to bring you happiness in life? I The guaranteed happiness for me is the realization that in any form of healing, there is always another side because fear lies to you. Fear lies and says you're never going to be anything. Fear lies and says who's going to love you after what you've lived through. 
The knowledge that fear is a liar brings me such happiness because it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that I know that if I'm feeling this moment, that that moment will not last forever. And that is in within my power and control. And it, it shows up in the most beautiful ways. It shows up on a sunny day when I can sit on the sun. When I can sit outside, I can plant my bare feet in the grass. I can drink a big glass of ice water and know that that's going to regulate my nervous system and bring back the happiness. I have the power over my life to choose that happiness again and again, regardless of what I navigated or lived through. Honor to be a survivor of domestic violence and get your voice back and be a voice for those who either lost their voice or haven't found it yet. You will find your voice. Agreed. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Illuminating Hope Podcast, a podcast of Hope House. A special thank you to our newest recurring donor, Carrie. Learn how you can support Hope House and domestic violence survivors by visiting hopehouse.net.